All right. I love the buzz when they go out excited about uh, studying God's Word. And uh, my prayers will have that same buzz in here and excited about studying God's Word. So uh, we're in uh, Philippians again for the third week as we've started this uh, verse-by-verse exposition or explanation of the book of Philippians. And uh, the theme of the book of Philippians is finding joy in Christ alone. And the reason that we find our joy in Christ alone, because he alone is sufficient. And we need nothing else or no one else to find joy in, but in Christ alone. Uh, The title of the message this morning is Christ Exalting Prayer, Part, help me, 2. If you were last week, you did part 1, right? And I explained to you what that means as your pastor began to study and he discovered more than he thought he originally would as he looked at this at passage. And so we made it into two parts. So we're going to be looking at Christ's exalting prayer, part two. And again, I want to read the first 11 verses in Philippians. And this will be the third week in a row we've read these 11 verses. So hopefully they're becoming familiar. And we do this to keep things in context. So we begin to, to take in the book of Philippians and, and understand it. And it becomes more and more familiar in a good way that so we can understand what the Lord is trying to say through Paul to, first of all, these Philippians, this church at Philippi that he wrote to. Um, this was actually a thank you letter, if you all remember. Thank you for sending your gift through Epaphroditus. So he sent back while he was in prison to Rome this letter with Epaphroditus, saying thank you for participating with me in the gospel and giving me the gift that I might continue to minister even from a prison cell. Uh, so this is a thank you letter. Have you ever seen a thank you letter this long? Not me, most of them have little cards, right? But this is a thank you letter. So let's read the first 11 verses here of uh, this letter to the church at Philippi. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege of coming to you in prayer. And Lord, we do pray as we look at these verses this morning, that you would pierce our hearts, that your word would divide soul and spirit and get to the deepest recesses of our hearts. Lord, where we need encouragement, bring encouragement. Lord, where we need change, bring change. Where we need to be challenged, Lord, we pray you would challenge us. Lord, our greatest hope is that you would make us more in the image of your Son as we are studying your word this morning. Use it to change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've been studying this passage of Scripture over the past few weeks, uh, I've been convicted and encouraged. All right? Convicted because I know that I need to grow in the area of prayer. Encouraged because I know that the Lord will be faithful to grow me in the area of prayer. So I've been convicted and encouraged. Uh, As I've studied this passage, um, 
I've read a lot of other places in Scripture about prayer as well. I've, I've read other sermons by um, newer guys and older dead guys. Uh, I've listened to things and just trying to, to, to soak my mind with this uh, thought about prayer. And I just want to share with uh, uh, you some quotes that have reminded me just how essential prayer is as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's one from Martin Luther. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. About this one. Prayer is the natural duty of a creature to its creator. The simplest homage that human need can pay divine liberality. Charles Spurgeon. Here's one by J.C. Ryle. Be sure no time is so well spent as that which a man spends on his knees. And then Corey Ten Boom, who was uh, in a concentration camp for helping the Jews. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Now all of those quotes stress what the Bible teaches about prayer. It's the natural thing for a Christian to do. And it's also essential to our relationship with the Lord. I think we'd all agree with that. And those quotes are just expressing the biblical teaching that those things are true. That it's essential. It's a natural thing for a Christian. Now listen to the following statement by John MacArthur on prayer. There's no truer indicator of a Christian's level of spiritual maturity than his prayer life. So here's a question. What does your life of prayer say about your level of spiritual maturity? What does your life of prayer say about your level of spiritual maturity? Now, MacArthur goes on to say, Paul's prayer life reveals more of his true spirituality than all of his preaching. What? His teaching and miracles, as marvelous and divinely blessed as those were. He was compelled to pray by the continual and powerful working of God's Spirit in his heart. Well, are you compelled to pray because of the continual and powerful working of God's Spirit in your heart? Are you compelled to pray? Well, now that we've all been thoroughly convicted uh, and know that we need to grow in the area of prayer, let's look at Paul's letter here to this church at Philippi where we're going to find encouragement, we're going to find hope, we'll find instruction that will help us grow in this area. Last week we uh, examined uh, three foundational principles here in these verses that teach about Christ-exalting prayer. And this morning, we're going to tackle the last two foundational principles uh, that teach about Christ-exalting prayer so that we might pray in a way that exalts Christ and his purpose in the church. So remember again that Paul is writing uh, during his first imprisonment here to Rome, which I just mentioned. And he's writing to this church. He started in Acts 16. If you weren't here for the first uh, week, I encourage you to go read Acts 16, where Paul plants this church in this place called Philippi. Remember, it was the first taking to the gospel to where? Help me. To Europe. This is the first time when he planted that church in Acts 16, the gospel gets to Europe. It's, it's significant. Not only did he plant this church, amazing things happened there, but he also visited it two more times before he went to prison. So he knows these people. He loves these people, which we saw last week. So he's writing this to these people he knows and loves in these churches, this church here in Philippi. And I also want to remind us of last week what we looked at, that this passage is about prayer. 
We saw that it's kind of got bookends in prayer. Do you remember in verse 4, it says always offering prayer. And in verse 9, in his last part of this passage we're going to look at this morning, he says, in this I pray. And it's not only about prayer, but it's about Christ's exalting prayer because Christ is mentioned four times in this small passage. So this is about Christ's exalting prayer. So last week, we remind you, we saw these first three foundational principles in Christ's exalting prayer. The first one was the commitment to prayer. Paul was committed to praying for these beloved brothers and sisters in Christ at Philippi. Are we committed to pray for each other here at Grace? Now remember this has a specific context. There's nothing wrong with praying, praying for the whole world. There's nothing wrong with going and, and praying for lists that are in the internet or somebody sends you something on an email or calls you. Can you please pray about this? And it's not within this church. But this is specifically geared toward and encouraging them to pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ at the church of Philippi. So how are we doing? Are we committed to that here, that we'll pray for each other? The, the second foundational principle we saw was the cause for prayer. Paul, Paul was motivated to pray for these people. Why? We saw this, it says, in view, in verse 5, of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. That they were involved, they were committed to the propagation of the gospel in all kinds of ways, with their life, with their gifts, with their mouth. They were committed to getting the gospel out because they understood that no one can be changed apart from the gospel. They had experienced that in Philippi. And they wanted others to be. And Paul's saying, that, that this encouraged me. It, it, it motivates me. It gives me cause to pray for you because we're in this together. So when you think about the people here at Grace, and you think about the part that each person here at Grace Bible Church plays in the ministry of the gospel, do you pray for them? Does it encourage you to pray for man? This person's over here serving this area. I just need to pray for that person. And pray that God will use him and be effective in ministry for the gospel. Do we pray? Thirdly, we saw the care in prayer. Paul loved these people. And we saw these words that he's only, it's only right for me to feel this way. And I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That from the depths of his heart, the depths of his being, he loved these people. And you know, when you love someone, you pray for them don't you? If you love someone, you will pray for them. Think about the people that you pray for. Why? It's because you love them. So what are we to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we love from the depths of our hearts? Well, what is it we're to pray? Well, thankfully, I love this. Paul, uh, Paul's my kind of guy. He just goes right down into, okay, here's what this, 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 and here's what you need to pray. And here it is. And we find this and this is the, the, in, in verse 9. Look at verse 9. This is what to pray. And this I pray. Up to this point, he's been talking about prayer. But now he's going to say, here's what I pray. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So this is the fourth foundational principle about Christ's exalting prayer. The content in prayer. The content in prayer. Up to this point, he's just, he says he prays for him. He tells him why he prays for him. He tells him he prays for them with a love with, from the depths of his heart. But here in verse nine, he's, 9, now he says, this is what I pray. He tells him the contents of his prayer. So for what does he pray? He prays, look what it says, that their love will abound. I pray that your love will abound. And by this, he insinuates that they have love. He's insinuating that love is, is, is already there in their hearts and in their life. I pray that your love will abound. 
He's saying they have love. And, and this is true of every true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. As John reminds us in 1 John 4, 7-8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love is an identifier. It's a characteristic for those who love God. And, and why do we love? Well, 1 John four nineteen says we love because he first loved us. That's why we love. The fact that God is love and God the Holy Spirit lives in his followers means that we can and we will love. You, you see, love is divine. It's not an earthly thing. It comes from God because he is love. And, and I've said this before, and I, will not, I do not take this back at all when I say this. If you don't know Christ, if you don't know God, you can't love. Because God is love. Now, we can express sympathy for people. We can care for people. We really can't love like the Bible talks about love. And the word here is agape. Here. And, and you can't agape someone without knowing God. Without knowing Christ. You can't love sacrificially and selflessly for the betterment of the other person. Most people get married... Not for what the other person gets out of it, do they? They get married for what they get out of it. We're honest, aren't we? Just, right? Right before I, I, I was going to get married to John L., I, I, I met her, and I was, man, this, this girl's awesome. So I called my butt, good buddy in Kentucky named Bob Warren. I said, Bob, I've met the girl I'm going to marry. I mean, she's just awesome. She loves the Lord. She's, she's beautiful. She's, a, she's got lots of energy and all this kind of stuff. And he, he said, oh, that's great, Brian. So if you're going to marry, you better be, be, be better. You better be willing to serve her the rest of your life because that's your job. What? <laughs> Hold on here. Let me take that back. He was right. That's my job. If I'm going to love her like Christ loved the church, I better be willing to serve her the rest of my life. And that's this kind of love. And we love because He first loves us because it is divine, and is a characteristic of those who love and are loved by Him. Well, not only does Paul insinuate that they have love for God and others, but he also insinuates, insinuates that their love needs to grow. It says that your love, you've got love, but it needs to abound. Your love may abound. Well, why would he pray that their love needs to abound? Well, look with me. If you flip over in Philippians, you've got your Bibles open or your tablet open or your phone open. Flip over to Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3. And look at this. Philippians 4, 2 and 3. Now, just in case you think I won't touch these two verses when we get to chapter 4, I will. All right? Just, we're not going to skip over them. We're going to come to them so we can look at this and see why would he maybe need to pray that their love would grow. Look what it says in verses 2 and 3. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. There are at least a couple of ladies in the church of Philippi that were not exhibiting love for one another. And I'm just saying this is probably one example that he brought up. My guess is there was more than this. But he brings this example up. that They're not loving each other. They were followers of Jesus because it says their names were written in the book of life. Yet they were having a hard time loving each other. Does this ever happen in church today? No. Not here at Grace Bible Church. Come on. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It happens in the church today. Sometimes we have a hard time loving each other. 
We have a hard time getting along, which is really just a, a symptom or characteristic of loving people. Well, their love needs to grow. So he prays that their love would abound. And our love needs to grow. So we need to pray that our love would abound. So notice that word abound there. It, it means to overflow the set bounds. Like there's a boundaries. And, and this kind of, that your love may abound, that it would overflow those boundaries. It, it knows no limit of love. So that's what Paul's praying. Their love would abound. And it's also in the present tense. Which means it continues and goes on and on and on. Which shows us that our love can always continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. They continue to, to overflow. And just more and more. In the present tense. It's an ongoing process in all of our lives. Well, Paul gets more specific in his prayer here that their love may abound. Notice how he prays that their love may abound. First with the, the, the word real knowledge. Now, your translation may just say knowledge. And it, and it is one word in the Greek. It's epinosis. The word knowledge comes from the word gnosis. And this epi is a, almost like an adjective put on the front of the word to make it it's strong. It, it's a strong knowledge. It's more than just mere knowledge. In fact, it denotes a special intimate knowledge, not just information. A special intimate knowledge. It's a knowledge that's made possible because he made known himself to us in a personal way in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a personal knowledge. You see, you can memorize the Bible. You can re memorize Grudem's Systematic Theology. For some of you all have seen that. It's about this thick. You can memorize all that and not know God with this kind of knowledge. You can memorize the Bible in 17 different translations, 140 different languages, and not know God, like Paul is praying here, that they would know God. Paul prays that their knowledge of God will get to their hearts, not just their heads. Do you know God? I mean, do you really know God? In the intimate way that Paul speaks of here, do you really know him? It's also a word, the Hebrew word, the equivalent is that the, 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 a man knows his wife. It's intimate. It's not just knowing a bunch of facts. It's about having a relationship with someone. To hear specifically about God and, and knowing his love. Jesus says something amazing concerning this in, in John 14, 21. Look what he says. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will disclose myself to him. When we know him, when we love him, in this way he says that he will disclose himself to to us. The more we know him, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more we'll know him. And the more we know him, the more we'll help me. The more we'll love him. And it just keeps going like that. Why? It says here because he'll disclose himself to us. Who wants in on that? I want in on that. I want him to disclose himself to me more and more and more that I might know him in greater and deeper and more loving and intimate way. And he says if we love him, he'll, he'll disclose himself to us. Well, Paul prays this for the church at Philippi. I mean, he could just stop right there. What an amazing thing to pray for these people. But he does, doesn't. He goes on and, and, and uses another word to describe how their love will abound with the word discernment. 
And, and this word discernment, it, it's insight for specific situations. It's the application of knowledge. It, it's having the ability to say, that's right, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's right. Not just having a bunch of knowledge, but having an intimate knowledge so that it leads to discernment so we can discern what is right and what is wrong. I'll never forget this. This has been probably eight to ten years ago. I don't know when the movie came out. But I'm sitting there, I'm listening to a friend of mine teach. And he's talking about discernment. He gave this illustration. He said, my wife and I were, were told about this particular movie. And we got to go see it. It's the best movie they've ever seen. And other people are telling us, we got to go see this. So they're going to watch our ch child while we go see the movie and have a date. So we go to this movie, and we sit down. And the movie starts, and, and it's exciting. And, and then all of a sudden, the whole theme of the movie, in a sense, one of the main themes that runs through the whole movie, is about adultery. And this is the greatest movie. And I'm sitting there, I've probably never seen that movie. I wouldn't go to a trash movie like that. My pride's just welling up. My buttons are getting ready to bust if I had them on. And then my friend says, and you know what that movie was? And I'm thinking, I've never seen this movie. I wouldn't go see a movie that was about adultery. And he goes, Titanic. And I slid down in my seat because I thought the same thing. What a great movie. And if you think, if you saw the movie Titanic, what was a theme all the way through it? One of the major things was an, adulter an adulterous relationship. Was I discerning? No, I wasn't. And all, we all know that adultery is wrong. And yet it glorified it. Now y'all going to be, hey, don't go to movies. I didn't say don't go to movies. Don't hear, don't know what we're sending any emails about this or send me a text. You're saying you're being legalistic. No, I'm just saying we need to be discerning. Surely don't go tell people it's one of the greatest movies you've ever seen. Right? And I was sitting there thinking I would never go see this movie. I wasn't discerning. And Paul prays that they would be discerning. Not only does he pray for this intimate relationship with God, that, but he, that they will know how to put this knowledge to use in specific ways. Specific ways. Well, what would happen if we would pray for each other in this way? What would happen right here at Grace if we would pray for each other that our love would abound in real knowledge and all discernment? Well, I'll tell you what would happen. We would desire to really know him through his word. Because it says when we pray according to his will, do you think this is his will? That our love would abound in real knowledge and discernment. You bet. When we pray according to his will, he hears our prayer and he answers it. That, that I believe that through his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would know him more. And it would also cause us, our love for each other, to grow in such a way that it would be a witness to others. And Jesus speaks of this in John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What? If you have love for one another. Well, here's a question. Will you commit to pray this for your brothers and sisters here at Grace? Will you commit to pray that their love will abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment? If so, I want us to take a moment right now. Often we, we just keep going. This is a moment right now we need to take and commit to the Lord by his power that we'll do this. So if you just want to join me, I'm just going to pray the Lord. that I will, Give me the strength to do this. And you just pray the Lord. Make a commitment. Often we just hear, oh, that's great, man. Praise God. What a great message. And we don't ever apply it. I'm giving you a chance right now to commit to the Lord to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ at Grace and commit to pray this for them.
Another practical thing you can do is to write that down. Lord, I commit, committed right here on this day, by your grace, by your power, that I'm going to pray this for the people here at Grace, and I'm going to stick it in my Bible right there so I won't forget. There's nothing wrong with being having a reminder. We talked about this last week, having a reminder. Just commit. Let's pray for each other this way. Well, we've discovered here in this passage so far the commitment to prayer, the cause for prayer, the care in prayer, and now the contents in prayer. Now let's move to verses 10 and 11. We'll discover the fifth foundational principle about Christ's exalting prayer. And it's found in verses 10 and 11 there. Look with me. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here we discover the consequences of prayer. The consequences of prayer. Paul shares his, the, the desired purpose or outcome of praying this. So we pray, right, for real knowledge, real, real, real knowledge and discernment. Their love would abound in this way. So, so we see this that by, by praying that their love will abound. We see this, and this is the purpose or consequences or out, desired outcome by the words in verse 10, so that. Or your translation may be just that. It, it's a purpose clause. So that means here's the desired outcome. Here's the consequences. Love that abounds in knowledge and discernment leads to something. It will bring about change. It won't just, we, we got love that abounds. Whoo, great. No change at all. No, he says it will lead to something. These would be the consequences. We pray that. What does it lead to? What are the consequences or desired outcome of this prayer? Notice first there in verse 10. So as you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be, to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the first consequence. The word approve here means to put to the test, to examine, to test. It was used to test the purity of coins. All right, some coins were fake. So they needed to approve the coins so they were, they were, they were real. They had to test the quality of the coin. And, and he said one of the consequences will be approved. What does it say? What is excellent? One translation says what is superior, what is vital, what is essential. We'll be able to approve those things. We'll be able to test things and say, yes, that is essential. That is superior. That is the best We want to find the best among the good. Not just satisfy, be satisfied with the good. Now when my kids get old enough, when we allow them to start dating, it's 25 for the girl, boys, 45 for the girls. Um, no, I'm kidding. But, but when that happens, it hadn't happened yet. But when this happens and they come home, oh, I met this. Maybe Joshua comes, I met this girl, Dad. Man, she's, she's a Christian. She's hot. She's fun. Like that, and... And, and, and maybe Anna Marie comes and says, oh, man, I met this guy. Man, he says he's a Christian, and he is so handsome. He reminds me of you, Dad. I'm kidding. Um, but <clears throat> So when they come, I, I, here's what I'm going to say. They say they're a Christian, but do they live like it? Do they have a passion for the people of God? Do they have a love for God? Do they have a love for his word? Do they care about the lost? Do you see it in their life? Oh, Dad, but he's handsome. No, I want to know, does he love Christ? Not just say, I'm a Christian. Too bad here in America, everybody thinks they're a Christian because they were born in this, in, in, in this country often or live in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, right? Yeah, no. I, I, want, I want my kids, I want to pray that my kids would approve what is excellent, what is the best, not just good. Who wants good when you can have the best, right? 
We approve what is excellent. Two questions. A pastor named Alistair Begg, he's a pastor in Ohio. He's from Ireland originally. He's got a great accent. You just love to hear him preach. He also has great things to say, but he's fun to hear preach. But he says there's two questions to ask in order to prove what is excellent or best. First question, what is right? What is right? There's right and wrong. Okay, and we know that this, this is clear, right and wrong in this situation. Then what is best? Because you might have two rights, but what's best for this situation? Ask that question. Ask God to help us approve what is best, approve what is excellent. Well, the standard for the general population in Philippi for making decisions and determining what is excellent or essential was the law or the city's consensus. Let's have a vote. All right, whoever, whoever thinks the Kentucky Wildcats are the best basketball team in the country, right? Right. Who thinks the Texas Longhorns are? See, we, we didn't have anybody, right? How about A&M? All right. All right, we had more A&Ms than Kentucky, so we ought to go to the consensus. And they're not even in the tournament. All right? Um, that'd be crazy. But that's how the church of Philippi, often, we laugh, right? But often, that's how we discern what is excellent and good. We look around and see what the society's saying. Well, that's what everybody else said, so it must be right. Wrong. I love what Peter O'Brien says here. He says, but the Philippians who were in Christ were to make such choices of what was vital on the basis of ever-increasing love, a love that penetrated more deeply into the knowledge of God and the treasures of Christ and imparted to the Christian keener and more delicate moral sense for specific situations. This is what happens when love abounds in someone's heart. They can approve what is excellent. And Paul will exhort the believers later on in, in 4.8 here, Philippians, to, to, to think on these things, those things that are excellent, so we can see what is excellent. But what does it look like, this ability, another example maybe, this ability to prove the things are excellent? Well, Joshua's not in here, so I can tell, him, tell this story. And I think I told it a long time ago when I was here. Most of you probably haven't heard this. So Joshua and I, he's probably about four years old. It's before we moved here. We're driving down 55 South, Springfield. Jacob's from Springfield, Illinois. We're driving down, and our exit's coming up. And when you get off our exit, before you get our exit coming south, there's all these restaurants. Like Outback, Steakhouse, yeah. You know, just different ones. There's like three or four, and they were newer, and there's a big hotel there. And we had, Joshua said, hey, Daddy, we've eaten at all these other places. How can we haven't eaten at that, at that restaurant? And he points to this particular restaurant. And I said, well, Joshua, there's just some things that go on at that restaurant that we don't need to see. And Joshua says, Daddy, does that restaurant make Jesus sad? And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget where we were. I'll never forget him saying, does that make Jesus sad? And the restaurant he pointed out was Hooters. And my son somehow knew that that made Jesus sad. He, with my help, was able to prove what was excellent. And that wasn't excellent. And don't tell me you like their wings. No one goes to Hooters for their wings. Because you can go to someplace else and get their wings. Get good wings. Make them yourself. I'm just being honest. Right? Oh, that's legalistic. It's not. Come on. It's not legal. It's just being discerning, right? To prove what is excellent. What's the best? And a great question probably to ask is, does that make Jesus sad? Does that make Jesus... Sometimes we ask that around our house. You think that make Jesus sad? Right, Jonathan? We ask that question. Does that make Jesus sad? Well, let's go on. When as we, as we, these believers, then and now... Are, are able to prove that things are excellent. Notice the result or the consequences with the, with the next phrase. In order that, I love this, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a result of a love that approves what's excellent. That, that word sincere 
or your translation may say pure. It means literally sun-tested. So what's that word? Sun-tested. What's that mean? Well, back in these days, they made ceramic pottery. And if you, if you put it in the, the, the oven to fire the pottery, and you, it was too hot, you were trying to get it to dry real quick so you could make quantity and not quality, it would get little cracks in it. So there'd be some people, and they're just, just putting it out, getting as many as they can, get it dry up. And what they'd do is they'd take wax, and they would put the wax in the cracks, and then they would paint over it. And they'd display it out here for everybody to see, and you'd buy this wonderful pottery. Well, what would happen, the only way you'd know if it was a good ceramic pot is you would hold it up to the sun, because if you held it to the sun, you could see the cracks right through the paint. It was sun-tested. And he says, that this word actually, then, the, 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 here's the word sincere, it's translated sincere, the word, the Latin word is sincere, which means without wax. Without wax. So, if these believers were to approve the things that are excellent, they will not have a bunch of cracks in their life. At least they won't be trying to hide them when they're there. And if they do have, then they could trust the Lord to fix those cracks, not with wax, but the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. Not only would they be sincere or without wax, but also that says they would be blameless. It means without stumbling, without offense. There's not a cause to cause someone to stumble, to give offense. So your life will not be an offense to others. Now notice I didn't say your message won't be an offense to others. The gospel is an offensive message. First you have to realize you're a sinner. And no one wants to hear that. That's why we have to trust God to open their heart like it did Lydia in Acts 16 in Philippi. But our life doesn't have to be with offense. Paul prays, tells Peter, or Paul, Paul tells Timothy later to, that people would, you would pray or they would live exemplary life so people won't be able to say, yeah, I'm not going to believe in Christ because they're a stinky life, because they're a jerk, because they're harsh. No. He's saying that their life will be blameless because they'll be able to, out of love, they'll be able to prove what is excellent and be sincere and blameless for how long? What does it say next? Until the day of Christ. Until the day of Christ. Love that abounds in real knowledge and discernment. Help me with this. This is very linear. You, 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 you engineers should be right on board, all right? Love that abounds in real knowledge and discernment leads to being able to approve what is excellent so that your life will be sincere and blameless. And nobody will be able to point to you and say, hey, if that's being what a Christian does, count me out. That's what he's saying. This is what will happen. And this is the natural outflows of those, the outflow of those who love Jesus. What does it say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the outflow of those who love Christ and who have been loved by him. And notice verse 11. Having been filled with the root of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Notice that phrase, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is how we're enabled to be sincere and blameless. Yes, the prayer offered, that's, in, that's right there with that, all right? But this is how we're enabled. This is what comes from the inside. We have been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Not our righteousness, but righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. All the fruit comes from Christ's presence and power in our life. It says having been filled. This is a perfect tense. It's already happened in these believers' life and in our life if we know Christ. Self-effort will never produce this kind of fruit. Ever. Only 
total dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ will produce this kind of fruit he's talking about. Sincere and blameless. And this was made possible because of 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is why there can, we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness because Christ died in our place, transferred his righteousness to us. Now Paul will refer to this later on, the same concept in, in chapter 2, if you turn with me there in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. Look what it says. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is, don't stop there. There's no numbers. Don't stop. Four. How will you work out your salvation in fear and trembling? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God's work in us. It's his righteousness in us that enables us to be sincere and blameless. Well, so the consequences of praying that believers would abound in love or they will be able to approve the things that are excellent and live lives and do ministry that are exemplary because of Jesus in them. Uh, Listen to what John Piper says about this. Without extended, concentrated prayer, the ministry of the word withers. And when the ministry of the word declines, faith and holiness decline... Activity may continue, but life and power and fruitfulness fade away. Therefore, whatever opposes prayer opposes the work, the whole work of ministry. Prayer. This kind of prayer. There's also one other very important consequence or outcome of this prayer of love abounding. Look there at the very last phrase in this passage, verse 11. To the glory and praise of God. When a follower of Christ when their love abounds in knowledge and discernment and approves what is excellent, leading to a life that is sincere and blameless because of Christ in them, what happens? God is glorified. He gets the glory. It sends light on Christ, right? Not on us. You see, a life like this can be only be explained by God. Only be explained by God and his life in and through us. This is the reason God created us, right? To glorify him. This is why he created us, that we might bring him glory. And in that, we find our greatest joy, don't we? When we are glorifying God. Trust and obey, for there's no other way, help me, to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey when we glorify him. And Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your, heaven, your Father who's in heaven. Not glorify, man, what an awesome thing that person did. No, man, that can only be explained by God. God's at work in that person's life. Well, Isn't this what we want to see happen here at Grace in the lives of the people here? It is. That that God would be glorified. That he would gain the credit. If that's going to happen, then in the mystery of God somehow, we're going to have to pray for each other. That our love would abound in real knowledge and all discernment. And then God, God will be glorified. Well, a couple questions and then we'll be done. Are you committed to prayer? Are you committed to prayer? Are you committed to praying this for each other? And what do you pray? It's okay to pray for someone's healing. It's okay to pray for someone's health. It's okay to pray for someone to do well in a job interview. It's okay to pray for those things. But if you're going to pray one thing, pray this. That the love may abound in real knowledge and all discernment. Pray that. And if that's all you pray... That's good enough. 
And whose glory are you seeking when you pray? Whose glory? My prayers would be God. And when, when this prayer is answered, it will change everything. People will come together and commit to the advancement of the gospel, and God will be glorified. That's what's going to happen. God uses means to his ends, doesn't he? And this is a means he uses to get to his end, that he would be glorified. And one of those things is through prayer for the saints of each other. Back in World War II, and there's not a whole lot of people in here who can remember that, but back in World War II, the people came together. Not only the people who were, the guys who were in the front lines fighting and, and battling with, with countries all over this world. But there's also people who were building those tanks back home, right? A lot of women were building those tanks back home. And people were sacrificing things. They would, they would have no meat Tuesday. They wouldn't eat meat on Tuesday. Because the guys over there fighting for our freedom needed meat. And they needed metal. So they'd go get metal drives. And people would give up metal out of their own homes. Pots and pans and everything. And they would give it. Because we needed more metal to fight for our freedom. And people learned to sacrifice. And, and just to be honest, our generation doesn't know about that. Really doesn't. I can speak for my generation. Doesn't know about the whole country sacrificing for the common good. So that there can be victory. And when we pray like this for each other, everybody will get involved. And God will use all of us. Some of us on the front lines, some of them supporting the back, some ground come around the side, but he'll use all of us for the advancement of the gospel and the glory of God. When we pray for each other like this, that's what will happen. Let me close with this quote by Charles Spurgeon. No man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. Will you do this kindness and pray for the people here at Grace? You can do no more kindness than this, to pray for someone and to pray this. So let's take a few minutes to pray and pray this right here. I want to pray in God's will. I know this is God's will right here. So I want to pray this for us. I want to pray this for the missionaries we support. That God would be glorified. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray. Based on the example of your servant Paul. Because of his great love for you and his love for these people. And his desire to see you honored and glorified. I want to pray as he prayed. That the people here at Grace. Every man woman, boy, and girl, that their love would abound. Still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment, Lord. So they may be able to approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until your son comes. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us to do that. Because of the righteousness of Christ in us. So that you might be glorified. Would help us grow our love. Let me be characterized by real discernment. Improving what is excellent. Lord, we pray for our missionaries all over this world that we support. But we want to pray for them. That their love would be abounding still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. 
so that that they can approve what is excellent. So that they may be sincere and blameless until you come. Because of Christ in them. So that, again, you, you Lord, be glorified in and through their lives. We also pray, Lord, you bring this passage to mind every day. Not just this week, but the next week and the next week and the next month and the next year that we might pray in this way. So you be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.